Hey everyone, just a little heads up. We recorded the bulk of this Chicago Sky Outlook episode before the news of the Sky signing Lexi Brown to a training camp contract came out. So uh, we went ahead and recorded separately a few minutes just on that signing um, Lexi Brown's chances to making this team kind of what she could bring to the Sky if she does make the team. If you want to listen to that, uh, just stay tuned to the end of the episode after we do our usual sign-off and, and outro. Uh, we'll talk about that Sky signing for a few minutes. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WMA podcast. It's Eric Nemchak here, as always, alongside the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, we're rolling right along with our 2021 WNBA outlooks with a team that uh, I'm very excited to discuss, the Chicago Sky. Yeah, these are passing by very quickly. I think this. So I think we're officially past the halfway point now, which is yeah. great. This is our first uh, outlook that we're recording since the schedule and, and the training camp schedule and everything has been announced. So we have a pretty clear picture of what's going to happen and excited to, to talk about this team. As am I. You want to quickly take us through the Chicago Sky 2020 statistics here? Yeah, let's do it. So they finished the season 12 and 10. They were the sixth seed over the course of the regular season, but fourth in net rating. So underperformed their point differential a little bit. They were positive 3.0 when it uh, comes to net rating. They were fourth in offense, 105.7, and eighth in defense, uh, 102.7 defensive rating. They, of course, lost to the Connecticut Sun in the first round, Eric. I'm not sure if you remember that game. but No, no, no um, recollection at all. It was kind of, as we'll talk about, really like a, a tale of two teams for this Sky team. They, they started off great. They started 10-4, and four, uh, and then they kind of lost all their depth. And, you know, they, I think they just maybe didn't have enough good players, quite frankly. Ended this season 2-6, and six, including losses to the Liberty, Mystics, and Dream. Yeah, okay. So now for those of you listening, if you don't already know, somehow, uh, I'm a Sky fan. I have season tickets, and uh, but I try to look at things objectively. So, gonna try to keep the homerism to a, a minimum on this episode. But just anecdotally, real quick, I want to kind of start off with some expectations for the 2020 team that I had as a fan. They were really high, and I think it was deservedly so. You know, as as a fan, this was probably the most excited I've, I've been for a Sky season since like 2014 despite everything that was that was going on. You know, we're coming off a 2019 season in which James Wade wins coach of the year. Ray Stevens, they got in a clear win, in my opinion, uh, for a trade from Dallas. The team was just a lot of fun to watch play in 2019. They seemed like a team that was on the rise. And given that, you know, some of the other teams in the WNBA for the bubble season kind of were expected to have a down year because of the absences and stuff like that, we're really expecting for this guy to have, like, a top four caliber season, um, maybe even make a championship run if everything went well. And for a little while, as, as you said, as you alluded to, um, this guy were hitting those expectations. You know, they, they started, as you said, 10 and four. Um, they were looking like a team that was ready to compete for a title, but then the wheels kind of fell off with injuries and what have you. And yeah, things didn't end so well. Yeah, but I think the the high expectations were were warranted, right? They yeah. they were bringing in their entire roster. Uh, with regards to the Stevens trade in particular, you know, not only a win in terms of I think, you know, just a one v one, who's a better player, who's a more effective or impactful WNBA player, but something that like Chicago desperately needed in terms of just like having a defensive playmaker. You know, they that was something that we had talked about last off season that was a huge area of opportunity for Chicago and they seemed to address it. And for the time um, it looked like it had been addressed. 
yeah, the uh, you know with Stevens, it, it feels like the previous team or, or the previous roster it, it needed a defensive playmaker in the front court. Just the length and and the athleticism and the potential on both ends of the court. You know, Stevens, I, I feel like the previous season for her was kind of a lost season with her her foot injury, but she looked healthy when she came to Chicago, and a lot of us felt like okay, this this might be the missing piece, you know? Um, not to put too much on Steven's shoulders, but the team looked drastically different with her playing in the front court. Yeah, so we can go over that a little bit. Uh, we, we mentioned that it was kind of two different teams. Um, those first 13 games where Diamond DeShields and Azrae Stevens were available, they both exited the bubble after Chicago's 13 games. Uh, DeShields, it was reported for personal reasons, but of course she was clearly dealing with an injury of some kind as soon as the, the season began. And I think that was kind of the first, um, I don't want to call it red flag, but just uh, eye opener or eye raiser, eyebrow raiser in terms of, oh, Diamond DeShields isn't even starting this first game. Sure. Um, but, but eventually, you know, she played, she played probably below expectations for what, what many expected of her that season. But DeShields and Stevens played those first 13 games. And in those 13 games, Chicago was third in offense, fifth in defense for a positive 5.4 net rating and then the final nine games with neither of those two players available only dropped down to fifth in offense so not terrible but ninth in defense negative 0.4 net rating those final nine games so we're not even really able to like outpace their competition in terms of net rating that back stretch of the season yeah and it was I'm not going to say it's just because they lost Stevens into shields you know just in, in a vacuum like those their individual talent but forcing them to kind of lean on players that might not, you know, I mean, they were just out of depth. They're out of depth and they're out of gas. And, and that, that loss to Connecticut in the playoffs really, really embodied that, you know, they were just totally outmatched and outgunned and, and, and Connecticut really just bullied them physically, you know, and this, it wasn't a big team. It wasn't a particularly strong team, like, like strong physically and just losing those two players that gave them an athletic advantage at their respective positions it really exposed the the rest of the team's weaknesses. So over the course of the season for this team, they were still number one in effective field goal percentage, which uh, is great. Ended up still being fourth in offense. So, you know, you wonder number one in effective field goal percentage, how are you only fourth in offense? Well, it's because they were dead last in free throw attempt rate Mm -hmm. and they were third in turnover rate. And not only third in turnover rate, but according to our Her Hoop Stats, great statistical library, definitely highly recommend people subscribe to Her Hoop Stats. Uh, the Sky were number two in opponents' steal rate, so just allowing a ton of live ball turnovers. And then, you know, the other big eye-opener for this Sky team, 12% in transition frequency. That was um, 10th in the league. So they got out in the open court pretty much the third least out of any WNBA team. Definitely not something you would expect for this team, a team that was, you know, top four the previous season. Yeah, that's something they, that really disappointed me, honestly. You know, even if the Shields wasn't fully healthy, you, you still have the athletes on the wing. Um, did, I don't think Ellie Quigley got quite as many open three-pointer, open three-point opportunities in transition. And if she did, she just didn't knock them down. It was kind of a down season for her as well. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it feels like their defense, while it's for the first part of the season, it was, it was okay. You know, it was acceptable. That last stretch, it was, they weren't stopping anybody. And if they're not stopping anybody, well, it's, it's harder to get your transition game going. A little bit more specifics about their offensive profile, I guess. Uh, number one in pick and roll efficiency. I don't think there's any surprise there. 
They were number four in volume. And that's for, you know, overall scoring uh, out of the pick and roll, not necessarily just the ball handler, but, but, you know, ball handler finishing the play and then passing out of it as well. Um, But just in terms of the ball handler scoring, I thought it was interesting to kind of go player by player here and see, you know, what was kind of effective for them as a pick and roll player. Uh, Vandersloot, of course, led the team in pick and roll ball handling possessions and, and scoring out of the pick and roll. She was 84th percentile. Allie Quigley, 81 possessions, still well below Sloot, but, you know, a pretty healthy number for sure. She was at the 96th percentile. And then here's where the, the drop-off kind of comes. Kalea Copper was, who had a fantastic season, and we'll definitely talk about her, but not particularly effective. Scoring out of the pick and roll, just a couple possessions fewer than Quigley, 38th percentile. And here's where it gets really ugly. Gabby Williams, fourth percentile in Diamond to Shields, zeroth percentile scoring out of the pick and roll. You know, when you look at this offense, it, we're, it's, it's impossible to avoid how vital Courtney Vandersloot is to this team. And that's a, that's, that's a, good, that's a good chunk of it right there, you know. Um, Ellie Quigley, while her, her uh, pick and roll scoring numbers were admirable, no one's going to consider Ellie Quigley to be a, a pick and roll playmaker, if you will. And that's just, it's like I said, Courtney Vandersloot just completely, uh, totally vital to this team and led to a very, 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 um, enormous drop-off when she was off the court as the on-off numbers indicate. Yeah, something that Chicago definitely attempted to address. Uh, We'll see if that comes to fruition, I guess, uh, without that kind of stark point differential difference between Chicago just absolutely not being able to score with Slew off the court this season. Uh, I wanted to go over some of their, I guess, defensive, you know, fundamentals. They were kind of middle of the road in, in all their four factors, you know, defensive rebounding, forcing turnovers, uh, everything like that. Um, But they did allow the second highest proportion of opponent's shots from within five feet. And they were tied for last in terms of allowing the, they allowed the highest transition frequency. So, you know, they were essentially the Indiana fever when it came to letting opponents get out in the open court. These are things that, you know, you can say maybe it's your, your backcourt defense, a lot of it, I think, is a little bit of shooting luck in the bubble. They were 11th in defending jump shots in the half court. They were 11th defending catch and shoot possessions. 11th and de- uh, 10th, excuse me, in defending jump shots off the dribble. Um, and it's also worth noting, I think, that they allowed the third lowest three-point attempt rate in the league. But actually, you know, that it's worth also noting that that usually kind of correlates, or at least recently, with having a, a poor defense. You know, the best defensive teams in the league are forcing opponents to make to take a lot of outside shots you know the, the best teams in the league can definitely hit three-pointers at a healthy rate but you know for a lot of WNBA offenses like the the three-point shooting just isn't good enough to really sustain a good offense let's get to kind of I think the focal point of the shift in the skies season Azure Stevens this was a trade that at the time you as a sky fan were really excited about I was pretty excited for Chicago as well you know, what did you think of, although it was limited, of course, but what, what did you think of her first season in Chicago? Uh, I thought it was a major success, you know, discount, uh, not including the, uh, the season ending injury, of course. Like I said, she was pretty much as advertised as that quote unquote missing piece because she did give them that length in the front court. And, you know, when you think about Azrae Stevens, she's not really a, a good individual defender or a, a strong individual defender because she does give up a lot of, of you know, girth to uh, opposing post-up players, but she does give you the ability to play like kind of different coverages and she's a good help side defender. Like she's good recovering. She, she does rack up those block shots pretty easily, which is, you know, blocks aren't 
they're not completely indicative of, of strong front court defense, but they're, they're good to have. And, uh, and offensively she's, she moves so well, you know, I, I think she would, she really thrives in an offense that does emphasize ball movement or having a, you know, you know, motion offense that has one uh, ball dominant player in Courtney Vandersloot. There were just so many times where Stevens made, you know, really quick, sharp basket cuts and, and Vandersloot found her. I think the end of the, the end of that game against Vegas, the second game against Vegas, where they ran that little Spain action and got Stevens a wide open layup rolling to the basket that, you know, that's not something that uh, if you put her and a player like Cheyenne Parker on the court or a player like Stephanie Dolson, who's a really good screener, that will open up a lot of things for a player like Azrae Stevens, who's just who's just more mobile than most of the players at her possession at her position, you know. And if and if I can just jump in, I think she has a really great knack, as you're saying, just for kind of finding those lanes as well. Off she the does. Ball. Well, I mean, you, you play your last collegiate season at UConn, you're going to learn how to move without the basketball. But yeah, that's that, that's a great point, and I think that's something that you know not a lot of players just just have. It's it's either you have it or you don't. Granted, it, it can be taught, but um, she definitely uses her her length to her advantage. I think maybe you know, the, the the jump shot kind of came and went. Um, not real crazy about the the mid range jumper, especially off the dribble. But she's just so skilled and so toolsy everywhere else that it's really it's really hard to see her not fitting in well with this team. And for the most part, she did. Yeah, and with regards to kind of that off ball ability, you know, not so much the, the shooting, which I think we we like her taking three point shots and, and less so those mid rangers that you said, but just kind of cutting to the basket. She has such like an outstanding catch radius and such good hands that it makes it so much easier for the other players around her to find her on those cuts. And by catch radius, you mean like you can just throw the ball anywhere in her area and she's going to catch it. Yeah. She has great length and she has great athleticism. So she can, okay. you know, it's, you don't have to make a pinpoint kind of perfect pass to get it to where she's going to finish the layup. The other thing about Stevens, you know, and I mean, it's just a bummer that, she got hurt and it's frustrating that we don't really know exactly what it was the specifics of the injury I know teams are very hesitant to kind of announce what those things are but you know if when a player leaves exits the season with a knee injury you would love to know what the specifics especially one that requires surgery and the other thing that I had to say about this is that she played 66 minutes total her last two games and you know maybe that's just a little bit higher than you'd like to see for a player who you know, it just came off of another injury as well. Could be. Um, but maybe there's just no correlation, right? I'm not saying it's necessarily the fault of playing too many minutes of why she got hurt. I, I obviously don't know. But for the season for Stevens, 55% from two, 38% from three. That's, if you just combine that with her defensive playmaking, like that is such an amazing kind of fifth player, like complimentary player for what she's going to be asked to do offensively. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, you know, her rebounding, I think the numbers are pretty good and, they were a slightly better rebounding team with her on the floor. It uh, should be noted, you know, she's not someone that's just kind of putting up individual rebounding numbers and it doesn't really correlate with team rebounding. And that two-point efficiency, the 55% shooting from two, that's, you know, really because of insane finishing around the rim. 83% in the restricted area, but 34% of her shots are coming from mid-range, like the non-restricted area shots. And she's not really hasn't been able to convert those particularly well. And I think that's something that we would like to see a little bit less of, you know, if she's just strictly uh, an in the paint or three point offensive player, I think that would be ideal. No argument there. Anything else about Stevens? I mean, you know, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head defensively. Like she's not going to be an amazing one-on-one defender all the time um, just because she is giving up some 
size and strength to, you know, some of the best bigs in the league. But I think she, with her length, she's always going to be able to compete as long as she's able to stay out of fall trouble. And, you know, she did average four falls per 36 minutes. So I, I don't think there's really reason to panic, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah. I mean, she's not a stopper, but she definitely does give you plenty of advantages on defense. Uh, where should we go from here? You want to talk about Courtney Vandersloot? I feel like she's pretty important. Yeah. So, you know, another all WNBA season for Vandersloot. I think it was in, in some ways, you know, obviously she had the nice round number of 10 assists per game, but I thought in a lot of ways it was her best kind of overall offensive season. She had a career high in true shooting at 610, which is an outstanding number. She had a career high in scoring both per game and per 36 minutes. Uh, it was just kind of her best overall season in terms of balancing, you know, making her three-point shot, which can wax and wane a little bit for Courtney Vandersloot. She's always been really good from two-point range. She is usually pretty good getting to the free throw line, you know, minus one season where it was abnormally low. You know, and overall, she's had better two-point shooting season. She's had better three-point shooting season. But this is kind of like the one where it all kind of came together. And maybe that was just because it was a shorter season. But, you know, this ended up being like her best you know, by the numbers offensive season. Did you feel like this was her most impactful offensive season? You know, at first I wanted to say that 2018 was her most impactful season, but then I looked at the advanced metrics. I mean, oh my God, like just talking about what you look at for point guards, 46.3% assist percentage compared to an 18% turnover percentage. That is ridiculous. And then as you mentioned, um, her scoring efficiency was pretty darn good. Um, one of, if not her best, scoring seasons as well. So it's, it's really remarkable to look back and see how much offensive burden she carried and how efficiently she was able to do it. So the other thing I wanted to ask you is, would you consider Courtney Vandersloot the most impactful non-big in the league? I think it's close between her and Diana Tarazi, which is interesting because neither of those players you consider to be um, defensive impact, like make, make a good impact on defense, maybe for the other team. But um, yeah, I think it's, it, it, she's top two. What do you think? Yeah, I think top two as well, but I okay. was wondering if you'd maybe uh, go out on a limb and uh, put her number one firmly. Uh, um, I, I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it'd be clear enough now. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Anything else about Slu? I mean, I we each had her. What else her, can you say? In her, I know it's almost you know there's there's nothing really to kind of break down about Courtney Vandersloot. She she's been doing this for a long time. Uh, we we both had her in our uh, top five in our MVP ballots, obviously. Um, but let's move on to a player who. I guess there was a little bit more to talk about, something that was surprising to, to many, and that was the season of Kalea Copper, uh, who, of course, started the season starting and over Diamond to Shields and really never looked back. Yeah, you know, Copper is a player who, I, I know I've said this before, but I, I think she's, she's better than, what she, than the numbers she put up in previous seasons. I, I feel like her ceiling is really high, at least as an athlete. I mean, she, she might be one of the best pure athletes in the league, um, and that's that's – you know, that, that that's no faint praise. I mean, there, there are so many big time athletes out on the wing there, but when it first came out that diamond was hurt, we were like, Oh no, this isn't good at all. But Kalia Copper really, really stepped up to the challenge. She had what was easily, easily a career year. She really thrived in that higher usage role that, that, that starter role, of course, playing next to Vandersloot and, and, and Quigley in, in the starting lineup, you know, it's, that's, 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 it's easier to to put up those numbers when you're playing with some elite guards more of the time, but she was really efficient I feel like her three-point shot really developed nicely. Of course, she kind of had a had a had a down stretch towards the end of the season there, but she finished uh, as a pretty good three-point shooter, I think. And uh, you know, I, I mean, she is she's she really established herself as one of the better play finishers in the league. You know, 
she's not going to be making plays for others really. But as far as, you know, taking it to the rim and hitting that pull up two point shot, she really showed a lot that we hadn't seen from her in previous seasons, I think. Yeah. To build off your point, 54 turnovers to 47 assists for Copper last year. So, you know, not, I mean, she can make some pretty nice passes, but not someone who's going to reliably create for others. It's not her Um, role. But 562 true shooting last year, definitely a career high. 54% shooting from two on almost 10 two-point attempts per game. So for, you know, a perimeter player, I mean, that's outstanding. Got to the basket, got around the rim for almost 38% of her shots, finished really well, 60% finishing around the rim just in the half court. So not even including the transition opportunities where I think she was one of their better players as well. Uh, You know, she did only end up at 34% shooting from three, but she was like a 40% shooter for most of the year up until the last couple of games where she really went cold. And, you know, I think a case could be made that she, I mean, we'll see obviously, but, and we'll get to it, but a case could be made that she might be their best kind of half court option offensively, you know, late in games when you kind of uh, need a basket, you know, in terms of the, the small forward specifically. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the field goal percentage. And for those of you listening, uh, Basketball Reference now has this going back to 2018, which is totally awesome. Um, she shot 52.3% on long twos last season compared to just 30% the year before. So that might be considered unsustainable. We'll see. But her shooting numbers are like so they're, – they're up like across the board as well. So maybe she just improved at it. I don't know. I think that ability to – to can the long two as much as we hate the shot is, is, is still a, is still a good thing, you know, especially from a player who can create that shot pretty much out of nowhere. There aren't many players who can shoot over play over their defender, like Kalia Kuyper can. So that she definitely has that going for her. And then, you know, even if she's not pulling up, getting to the rim, she is so quick and she's, she kind of just slices her way in there. She's not going to overpower people like with her strength, but she's just so athletic and so explosive she can't really get to the rim easily, uh, both with and without the basketball, you know? Yeah, and for me, it, I would imagine that the, you know, 50%, I mean, 52% shooting from long two, that's probably not going to carry over year over no. year. But as long as she's about the same, you know, three-point shooter, imagine the two-point, the long twos would take a step back. And as long as she's finishing at the rim, you know, relatively the same and, and continuing to be an outside threat, that's still going to be a really valuable player, right? So let's move on to 2021. I don't think there's too much to say about kind of the individual seasons of too many other of their players from last year. You know, obviously Cheyenne Parker had an outstanding season, but is no longer with the team. So they obviously lost Cheyenne Parker after Candace Parker announced that she would be coming to Chicago. They also brought in a Stu Do. They drafted Shyla Heal with the number eight pick. They drafted Natasha Mack with the number 16 pick. Uh, we imagine she will compete for a roster spot as well. They won't really be returning anybody from COVID absences necessarily, but getting to Shields and Stevens back from their midseason bubble departure, and uh, they will be losing Cheyenne Parker, Sydney Coulson, Stephanie Mavunga, among some other part season participants. I will say, I guess for this season, it makes sense to start with Candace Parker, right? I mean, where else can you start? Uh, it was really a shock, in a good way, of course, when found out that this guy were were getting Candace Parker. Um, she changed, she changes everything for this team's outlook, you know, on both offense and defense. We talk about their championship window, like how, how much they should be favored by. Are they a true contender? Now I think you have to say, yeah, just because of Candace Parker, her presence. She's not what she once was. Yeah. But she still has so much to bring to this team. Yeah. We talked about how 
Azari Stevens was kind of just what Chicago needed in terms of their defensive playmaking. Well, Candace Parker, I think, is really that kind of final piece outside of just the star name and kind of even who she is as an offensive player. Her, I think, in, in my opinion, and no disrespect to Cheyenne Parker, but the difference between Candace Parker and Cheyenne Parker defensively is what's going to make a difference as to whether this team can actually seriously compete, you know, for a championship and defend the best teams at the highest levels. Um, and, and what Chicago really struggled with is, is really what Candace Parker is going to bring to this team. Like she's going to help them a ton on the defensive glass. As we've talked about before, LA was an outstanding defensive rebounding team with Parker on the court last season, a dreadful one when she was off Chicago, on the other hand, was actually a worse defensive rebounding team when Cheyenne Parker was on the court. Then when she sat, they were a better rebounding team defensively when Parker sat. In terms of actual defense, you know, not not rebounding, Parker, she's going to be a better pick-and-roll player. She's going to defend the post. Chicago was 10th in defending post-up scoring last year. I think that will improve this year. Chicago was 10th in defending transition. I think that will improve this year. They were 9th in defending pick-and-rolls. I, I, like I said, I think that will improve this year. Like all direct areas of improvement that needed to be addressed Candace Parker brings to this team, and she also happens to be one of the most like dynamic offensive bigs in WNBA history. Yeah, defensive player of the year, which absolutely no one will argue, right? Uh, yeah, to completely uncontroversial. Yeah, not not controversial at all. Defensive player of the year, but not all defense for some reason. Uh, anyway, um, she's also you know like you did you mention defending without fouling too? Oh no, that's a great point though. Yeah, you know, I mean you're right. You hit at it. You hit on every single thing she's good at on defense. Um. I think she's got this reputation of a, of a player who doesn't try on defense on every possession, but I don't think she makes a lot of mistakes. And that's when you consider the basketball IQ and, and what this team is lacking. I mean, they have, they usually have to play, especially without Azari Stevens in the lineup. They really have to play a very conservative vanilla defense because they just don't have a lot of, you know, they just don't, they just don't have a lot of, how do I say this? They can't really impose their will on defense in, in any sort of uh, capacity, at least from the front court. And Candace Parker changes that. You know, she's she's um, an intelligent defender who doesn't really foul often and who's really good at defensive rebounding. Those three things are all things that are going to benefit this guy tremendously. And then on, you know, the offensive end, obviously, you know, the, the ball handling, the half-court passing, the outlet passing, passing out of the post, uh, all things that I think this team, it just brings another element. It doesn't, I don't necessarily think, you know, offense was really, what this team was missing necessarily from being a, a good team, but just b- to be able to have one more player who can constantly really make good decisions. And, you know, it might lead to some more live ball turnovers, but I think overall it will certainly be a, a net positive. What, what I'm so excited for with Candace Parker being a part of the offense is it's not all on Courtney Vanderslip to make plays anymore. You know, I, I think this, this team is, it's, it's good on, on play finishing, you know, with the shields, Williams, copper, Quigley, you, Stevens, you, you have play finishers. You've got a ton of play finishers. But it seemed like, you know, in, in recent years when it wasn't Courtney Vanderslip setting them up, the half-court offense tended to kind of bog down a little bit. Now you have an elite playmaker at the lead guard position, and you've got an elite playmaker in the front court. So there are just so many different things you can do offensively, both with and without the basketball. I'm, I'm really excited to see what Candace Parker can kind of do. You know, of course, we, we, we salivate at the, uh, at the easy – transition baskets, you know, outlet passes to the Shields and Williams and Copper. But in the half court, I think she's going to be an amazing fit as well. Yeah, just, you know, being able to take a little bit of the playmaking burden off of Vandersloot. Not that you want the ball out of Vandersloot's hands, but this team was, I think, lacking 
in just, you know, secondary passers and secondary playmakers. Like you said, they have a ton of elite play finishers, but to have someone who, you know, can just make plays for others a a little bit more than kind of what they had previously. I wanted to talk about Shyla Heal, a player that I was able to dive into some film a little bit. Did you have any additional thoughts on Heal? I know we talked about her a little bit in our draft recap show. Um, Mine's going to be a little anecdotal. Like yours is probably going to be a little more of actual analysis, but I just want to say that um, we talked, we said briefly, you, you made a good point on the draft uh, recap. This is kind of a best of both worlds scenario uh, with regards to both potential and immediate impact. Shyla Hill doesn't turn 20 years old until September. She's been playing professional basketball in Australia since she was 14 years old. That is crazy to me. And so, so you do have, even though she's young, she does have the professional experience that maybe some other candidates for the backup point guard position don't have. So considering this guy needed someone to come in and contribute right away, that makes her the ideal candidate for the job right, like right off the bat. I don't, I don't think she's going to you know, set the world on fire immediately, but if you're, if you're comparing her to somebody who is coming in from NCAA play, I think her combination of international and professional experience around the world really gives her a leg up on the competition. And then, you know, just... Also, I think you have to consider, I don't know how much this is, this is true or not, but you know that James Wade knew that he needed to draft a point guard, right? So he, he kind of was able to focus on the point guard prospects when scouting. Obviously, if something crazy happened, like, oh, oh, that queer somehow fell to number eight, let's draft her, you know, obviously you're going to do that. But if, you're, if your scope is so narrow that you're only looking at, looking at lead guards, you'd think he'd have more time to do his homework on each of those on each of those respective prospects, right? So I have just the maximum confidence that they made the right pick here, um, given his overseas, his, his international coaching experience, and just uh, just him knowing that he needed a point guard. So pretty sure this is the right pick. Yeah, we talked about the age difference between Heal and uh, Dana Evans, uh, a player that you kind of had been hoping for coming mm-hmm. into the draft. And so I- what did you see from Shyla Hill? Well, I, I liked a lot of what I saw from Heal. She is a player that, you know, is going to just pull up from anywhere, which I think is something that, you know, the WNBA game needs a little bit more of, uh, you know, just someone who can pull up for a three in transition, who will take the ball back out and, and then just after getting a little bit of penetration, but it wasn't quite there, she, you know, she'll, she'll bring it back out and then just pull up from a couple steps behind the line. She has near unlimited range, I think, in terms of you know, where, where she will and won't shoot from. But beyond just the shoot, and the shot looks really, really pure, I should say, as well. One thing that might be a little bit of a concern about the shot is just that it is a little bit kind of uh, front forward and, and she might lean forward a little bit. So some of those jumpers, you know, she is a smaller player. I think she's listed at 5'6". You know, we could see that jumper get blocked a little bit at the higher level uh, of WNBA competition. Um, I really liked what I saw from her, you know, playing the pick and roll just in terms of her timing on her passes, her placement on her passes, snaking, as they say, the pick and roll, kind of, you know, keeping herself in front of her defender once she kind of goes through the pick. Uh, I, I really liked what I saw from that aspect of her game, although I will say, again, kind of like what we said with Dangerfield a couple weeks back or whenever it was, we talked about them. You know, her height is definitely a little bit of a concern, I think, getting all the passes that she wants to get to, but she she has almost kind of all the the passes that you kind of need from a point guard in her bag already in terms of you know, getting it to the the big on the pick and roll, getting it to the wing on kind of the, the hook shots when the the help is sagging in. 
I, I didn't see too many left-handed passes that were amazing, but she, she loves to drive left. So I, I don't really think there's any concern with her left hand, really. Like she almost always was driving left and she'll pull up dribbling left, which always, you know, is, is a little bit easier for a right-handed shooter. I think, you know, defensively, oh, actually I have a couple more things offensively. Like she's not going to be able to finish inside the basket. I don't think early on in her career, you know, maybe it's something uh, as she really develops over the next couple of years where she will, you know, just really develop a really nice kind of last step to use like uh, timing to be able to finish over size at this level. But I think right now she'll be a little bit more of a two level scorer, but, you know, maybe still be able to kind of like uh, gnash underneath and, you know, find players as she's kind of uh, going through, uh, going across the baseline and stuff like that. Okay, and by and by Nash, you mean like Steve Nash, right? Like like pro yeah. Right? You know, you're just kind of setting up somebody from uh, from the baseline underneath, keeping your dribble alive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Exactly. De- defensively, you know, she she competed. I think uh, she had pretty decent lateral quickness. You know, Leilani Mitchell definitely got the best of her, and I think got her almost more with deceptiveness and just you know being a pro more so than really an athletic advantage. But I, I really like the way that she competed. I thought she showed fine ability in terms of uh, moving, you know, side to side. She competed hard in the post against bigger guards. Um, I I thought she was really good at kind of like um, digging down into the post when she was not defending on the balls and created a ton of turnovers in some of the games that I saw. So I'm really excited. You know, I I don't know if she's going to be a huge positive contributor (laughs) at age, you know, 19 in the WNBA, but she's definitely, you know, uh, I think this is going to be a great pick. It's not a stopgap, basically. Yeah, exactly. And it's not someone who profiles, I think, as like a career backup. What, what's the term I'm looking for where, you know, you're just kind of like game manager type. Game manager, yeah. That's pretty much all I had. It, one more thing I want to I say about, you know, the future here. The only thing that would concern me about her potential future with the team is her international status. Australian players, they, you know, sometimes they need to take time off. They need to miss part of or entire seasons because of international game prep. Um, that's not going to be the case this year, I don't think, because Australia is, I believe, having their camp in like Arizona or something like that. So like Sandy Brandella made it a point to ensure that Australian players aren't going to miss any WNBA time. So that's awesome for this year, but just down the road. Um, but everything else, I mean, it, from what from what you're saying, uh, and that's great analysis, by the way, from what you're saying is uh, this guy made a good pick both for the short term and the long term. So let's get a little bit more into, I guess, like the the depth, the, the rotation of this team. We imagine who we think the starting five will be, of course, Vandersloot, Quigley, DeShield, Stevens, Candace Parker at the the five. I, I know I think there's a small contingency of Sky fans that maybe want Steph Dolson to start over Azra Stevens. I don't think no. either of us <laughs> think that's really realistic or, or in the Sky's best interest. So I, I guess my my question, I mean, I have a lot of questions and I think there's a lot of time to or a lot of things that we should talk about but with regards to Vandersloot this is kind of where I wanted to start like these five players we expect them to be really good together but we know the offense has struggled we don't know how impactful a rookie point guard would be for you to kind of make sure that the sky don't completely tank when Sloot is off the court like do you lean more towards let's just maximize our five best players all the time or how, how do you kind of weigh you know what kind of core rotation players are in the game in those non-salute minutes. Well, isn't this kind of the beauty of having a, a front court player like Candace Parker being able to create shots? It, what, you don't have to have both her and Vandersloot in the game. I get, you know, Candace Parker is no spring chicken. You're probably going to be, you're not going to be playing her heavy minutes, but I think James Wade can find a way to stagger his rotation in a way that, you know, in which one of those two players is on the court for the majority of those minutes. 
I agree. You're not going to want a 19 year old, like, like running, running the show, at least not right out of the gate. But if you have passers like Parker and to a lesser extent, uh, Stephanie Dolson, you can have lineups in which you don't need your, your lead guard to be the primary initiator. Right. Yeah. And to build off that, like, I think they're still, even with Parker going to want to play Dolson a lot with the Vandersloot Quigley combo, because we just know how effective that can be offensively. Quigley and Dolson, I think have a really special chemistry in terms of like their off ball activity. Right. Dolson, I think is a great passer and maybe with, the emergence of Clay Copper and maybe Dawson playing a little bit more with the second unit. Maybe you just kind of have enough everywhere else and Heal can do what she does well and not be asked to do too much, I guess. But yeah, I think I think Parker will play a lot with, with the second unit. I mean, do you like Copper more with the starters? Do you think she can kind of run, you know, be kind of a second unit scorer and, and keep things afloat that way? Or is that kind of asking a little bit too much? I don't think it's asking too much, especially if you're I mean, from what it sounds like, like Shiley Heal is, is no slouch off the basketball, right? Like she can shoot it. Yeah, for sure. She can definitely shoot it. She, she definitely has gravity. She can, I think she has pretty good knack moving without the ball, you know, definitely some things to learn, I'm sure at the WNBA level, but she's not just going to, you know, stand completely still and wait for her turn. Okay. So, so if it, if it's so, if it shakes out that you, you mostly have Copper alongside Heal and, and maybe Ndu and, and Stephanie Dolson, if you will, then yeah, I think you have enough playmaking there to maximize Copper's play finishing. One other thing I wanted to to ask here, like, is it a given? And I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that think this is a stupid question, but I don't think it's a stupid question. Is it a given that Diamond Shields is going to close games against the best teams over Kalea Copper, who I think we've seen is just more able to space the floor when she doesn't have the ball? No, I don't think it's a stupid question. Listen, James James Wade has shown, like, he's not scared to bench Diamond Shields if she, if she makes a mistake, particularly being inattentive off the ball on defense. He's not been afraid to bench Allie Quigley if, if he thinks that's a bad defensive matchup. So he's a player who does hold everyone accountable. And I think that's part of the reason why all the players love him, you know? So it's, it's really nice. Like part of the, part of the good thing of uh, uh, Copper breaking out last season is that you don't need to lean on the shields like that anymore. You know, one thing I will say, it seems like Yabby Williams is going to miss part of the season because she committed to play for the French national team, which is totally dope. You know, go Gabby. So if, if you're missing Gabby Williams there, you're kind of going to have to go with more to shields and copper. You're going to have to lean on them a little bit more than you would otherwise. But, you know, like you said, copper is a player whose jump shot is just farther along than to shields is particularly when she's spotting up like from the corner. And I think copper has at least earned the consideration. Don't you? I do. Yeah. It's going to depend on kind of what we see from diamond to shields this year. But if, if we get to that point of the season, like I think if we came into last season and you were saying, well, if Diamond to Shields isn't closing games, like this team's championship upside is gone. I don't think that's necessarily the case this year. Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree. And to build off something that you were saying, I think the same, you know, to a, a different degree could be said about Allie Quigley just in that, like we've seen James Wade not necessarily trust Allie Quigley to close games against the best teams defensively. You know, in both Vegas games last year, against Minnesota, uh, against Dallas in the last game of the year, where all the other starters were playing, you know, Allie Quigley was not playing late in the game up until kind of offense only possessions with under a minute left. Like she sat the last three minutes of the Vegas game, the last five minutes of the Lynx game, didn't play any of the fourth quarter in the second Vegas game, except to go offense defense at the very end. So Wade has definitely shown a little bit of a lack of confidence in Allie Quigley in certain matchups. You know, it probably won't be every game, obviously, but even, you know, the previous season, I remember a, a, game against Connecticut where Gabby Williams was closing games instead of Allie Quigley. So, and I think that's 
uh, an option that Wade likes because of Williams' defense. I don't know if I would agree with that necessarily over some of their options that they have now, but do you think that's a given? Like, is Quigley a shoe-in to kind of close games if this team gets to, you know, the semifinals or the finals? No, although I think it's it's less of it's less ideal than you know uh, Copper playing over to Shields, because Copper and Shields, you know, you, you think about um, their specific skill sets. There's a lot of overlap there. You know, Shields a better passer than, than than Copper, but when you talk about the athleticism and the finishing and the dribble penetration and the transition ability, yada yada yada, there's a lot of overlap there. Where you, if if Diamond isn't playing well or whatever. Or, or you like a specific matchup a little bit more with Kalia Copper, you say, okay, that's, that's no problem. We can live with that. But with Quigley, it's really hard to replicate her, her skill set on this team because she is such a good shooter and she is such a good off-ball threat. You know, it, it, Quigley on the floor, even if she's not shooting the basketball, she's still making an impact with her gravity and with her off-ball movement. You can use her as like a decoy for, for ATO plays or, or out-of-bounds plays and stuff like that, um, especially when you have Candace Parker on the team. So Parker's playmaking ability, I think, would be best, would be most optimized, as you like to say, with Allie Quigley on the floor, you know? So even if, and, and that's something that this guy didn't have even close to the past couple seasons, when you're talking about Wade's history of benching Quigley down the stretch. So even if he doesn't trust her defensively, I think her presence offensively alongside that of Candace Parker and Courtney Vandersloot would be enough to kind of tip the skills in her favor, you know? Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, okay. And then the other thing with regards to the wings before I, there was some stuff I wanted to ask you about the, the big rotation on this team, but they have a plus defensive center now in a way that I don't think they had before. Do you think that makes it more kind of advantageous to be able to run their three athletic wings out there together? You know, Gabby DeShields, Copper, you know, they played a lot of Gabby at the four. I think she was maybe primarily a four last season with pretty mixed results, but I think it was overall positive. Is that something that you think, you know, with Candace Parker kind of anchoring the defense is a little bit more tenable now? Uh, maybe, but I, I don't like the floor spacing of that potential lineup because if you're not able to get out and get out in transition, get stops and, and, and get fast break opportunities there, it's going to be really awkward in your half court sets. Yeah. I think there's something to that. I mean, Candace Parker is, you know, she can hit the three, but she's not someone who teams are, they're not panicking. If Candace Parker has a, an open three, you know, Gabby Williams and diamond Shields obviously are two players that have had mixed results and uh, taking the three, but let's move on to the, the forward rotation, you know, Dawson, I think we're, we're going to see a lot of at the center without Parker. I think they're, they'll probably play a decent amount together as well, Parker and Dawson. But then things get pretty interesting. How would you rank these three, one through three, in order of like kind of how much you want the Sky to keep them on this team and how much you think they're going to help the team this year for Astu Du, Ruthie Hebert, and Natasha Mack? Um, in that order, actually. Uh, Astudu, she is the, uh, first of all, she's got the most experience. She is probably the best defensive playmaker, proven defensive playmaker, right? Natasha Mack was uh, an outstanding playmaker in college, but that's in college. She, Astu brings the length and she brings a three-point shot. Those are the two things, like that's, that's an invaluable skill set to have. Hebert, you know, I love her, her off-ball movement. She's one of the best in the game already at playing in the pick and roll and just moving without the basketball. I think not even just pick and roll, like just making cuts. She's got such a great knack for moving without the ball and finishing, of course, at the rim. But the defense, I'm not sure how she matches up on defense. Like, can she guard? She's a little small to guard fives, guarding fours. Yeah, like what What ideally even is, is her defensive position? I don't know. 
I don't know. And that's not a good thing for a front court player, you know, and, and worse still, I don't see an avenue for that to really be solidified, you know? So if we could somehow like put Hebert and Mac together, you know, that, that'd be, that, that'd be ideal, but you, you can't. So I think it'd be Ndu and Hebert because, you know, I mean, I mean, Hebert, she, she had some moments last season. She wasn't terrible. Um, and, and you know, I, she already, honestly, three- she was really, really efficient. You know, one of the best two points oh, yeah. efficiency was. Yeah. And she's, she's already got great chemistry with Courtney Vandersloot. So that's, that says a lot. So I think Natasha Mack is going to have her work cut out for her in training camp. Specifically, I think she was kind of brought in as new insurance. So if you, if, if it so happens where new, cause she's on a training camp, remember she's not, she's not on an unguaranteed salary already. Like, um, like Hebert is, if it so happens that new needs to miss the entire season, then okay, well you then you bring in somebody else who's really really long and blocks shots, maybe not doesn't have the uh, experience that that do does, but you're able to kind of have some overlap there as far as skills are concerned. But yeah, that's in order of preference. I think Ndu makes the the largest impact right away. Hebert is as much of a known quantity as a second play, second year player is in my opinion. And then Mac wild card, but I like the upside. Not sure if there's room on the roster for her though. Okay, so. With that being said, you know, it sounds like a, a stew is the player that you have the most confidence with this season. Yes. Uh, is, is that enough, I guess, for kind of how the other two players project to, you know, keep that roster spot for a stew? Or is it close enough to where maybe you would, you know, consider keeping one of the, both of the younger players over a stew, you know, because they, they might bring a little bit more two years from now and you wouldn't want to lose that? Uh, that that's a good question. For one, I think, well, let me, let, me, let me backtrack a little bit. I don't think it's as black and white when you're talking about um, international players like Ndu because there are relationships you need to consider. Like before Dallas um, bought her out or, or partially bought her out, we we're looking at an albatross of a contract and Ndu might, might not even be playing this season because of her commitments to the Spanish national team. Um, she's made it known that she loves Chicago. James Wade obviously loves her. He, he wanted to have her back. He cut Stephanie Mavunga in order to sign and do to a training camp contract. I think there was a level of trust there and, and a level of, of confidence between those two parties where Adu may have shied away or the Spanish national team particularly. Remember I talk about international coaching experience. This factors in here where the Spanish national team says, okay, we would prefer if, if, if we had a stew practicing in Spain for the entire season, but if she goes to Chicago where she know where we know she's comfortable, where she knows she's going to be treated well, okay, we can make an exception there. You know what I'm saying? Granted, this is all speculation. I, I don't have any inside information on this, but if you're talking about a player who is kind of a wild card showing up and it's not like a stew is a total game changer. Like, like we're not talking about is Liz Cambage going to show up? You know, this is, this is still a, a complimentary player here. We're looking at a situation in which, yeah, some some things might have been moved around. Some things might have been changed last minute. And okay, we will make a we will, you know, cut cut this cut this high ceiling draft pick in Natasha Mack in order to keep us doing do. But the training camp contract there, I think that's also key to look into. They're not they haven't boxed themselves in. You know, I think it is a luxury to have a player who you have a really good relationship with, who has already said as a free agent, yeah, I'll come back to Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's 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 no problem. You know, I I know I have a good relationship with you. So if Ndu is forced to miss a season, I wouldn't be opposed to you know keeping Mac and Hebert because you know you've already you already know you have a, a good relationship with a player and who's a player whose camp accepts that you know she's 
going to be playing in and out of the rotation. You know what I mean? Is this making sense? Yeah, no, it does. But and okay. the other thing to maybe consider, and look, I'm, I'm speaking completely out of turn here. I don't know a Stu's standing in the league by other players. Like I don't really know how, she, how well she's regarded, but you know, this team has a very clear championship window and uh, it right. might not necessarily, you know, kind of vibe with some of these players who are getting up there in age to wave a player who it looks like can help you right now for a little bit more of a, a project when pretty much, you know, all of your players are, are coming due after this season. And it looks like now is the time to really go for it. And, you know, you kind of need as many reliable playoff rotation caliber players as possible to kind of fill out that rotation. That's um, a good point. And, and that's, and sorry to interrupt, but that's um, something James Wade has made it no secret. Like in the past couple of seasons, actually, he thinks this roster is closer to contention than it is to rebuild. I mean, he traded, he traded for Stephanie Movunga last season because he just needed a healthy body. That's that that says a lot to me about how he perceives this team's uh, championship window, and then of course adding Candace Parker totally elevates whatever that was the previous season. So I totally agree. I think you know you, you said you you said you let me complain a little bit on this episode about uh, eligibility as far as you know suspending contracts. I think it's so stupid how you aren't able to partially suspend a player or what's a, what's the a proper term for it? Like you can't gain. So so let me let me explain it. So you can suspend a player partially if if a player plans on missing only part of the season you can partially suspend that player to free up their roster spot but if you're up against the hard cap the that WNBA is a a hard cap league like you can only spend x amount of dollars no matter what if you're up against the hard cap like you you freed up the roster spot but you don't have any additional money you like you haven't gotten that salary to bring in another player unless you suspend them for the entirety of the season I think that's so dumb. I don't think it makes any sense because what's the point of opening up a roster spot if you can't spend that money? To me, it doesn't make any sense. And and the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is because uh, it does appear that both Gabby Williams and Estu and Du, there are going to be questions about whether or not they can report to camp initially. It's not set in stone that they're, that they're going to miss the whole season. So it's like, you'd love to keep Mac, especially as, as that extra, as that fifth big, you know, she might pretend, she might bloom into something really special. You don't know, but if, if you can't, if, if a Stu says, okay, I'm going to miss uh, the first month of the season, but after the Olympics, I'll be back. James Wade wants to win a championship this year. He's going to bring a Stu and do back. So it's, you're kind of waiting around in a situation that's already pretty volatile. And if they cut Natasha Mack in training camp, someone else is probably going to pick her up, you know? So that's, it's a tough situation for sure. So let's say that your, your order of preference that you had listed and do Hebert, Mac, Chicago sees it the same way. Uh, Mac is the one that, that ends up getting cut. Hebert, a player who was really, really efficient, as we talked about last year. Do you see any path for her to play this year? You know, they have Stevens, Ndu, Parker, Dolson, and then Hebert would be the fifth big. Is she just not really going to play at all? I mean, if, she, if she's the fifth big, I don't think so. Granted, you know, there are some, with, with Candace Parker and Stevens, you know, you might, they might be kind of load managed, quote unquote. And Steph Dolson has, has, hasn't really been a, a high-minute player in, in a while either. So maybe. But if you look at last season, I mean, Hebert was really only getting those heavy minutes towards the end of the season because they had no other options. Because yeah, Dolson was, was in and out of the lineup. Um, you had Stevens, who was out of the bubble. They, they were really kind of scratching at the bottom of the barrel there. And that's, and that's nothing against Hebert. It's, it's just that her specific – I'm going to go back to the defense. It, it's going to be hard for her to really make a name for herself defensively her saving grace is her ability to finish at the rim and move without the basketball and play with your, your franchise point guard, which is great. But as looking at a healthy rotation, like 
no, I don't really see her an avenue for her to play consistent minutes. Do you? I don't know. I don't really know. Like unless someone else just isn't playing that game or, you know, someone goes down for a couple games. I, I don't really see how she brings more value. I mean, unless 2020 a do is really kind of who this person is as a player now. I, yeah. I don't think that's the case. I think she can still contribute, but you know, if that's not the case, then maybe Hebert is just not going to play. Any other rotation thoughts uh, before we kind of get into strengths and weaknesses? Uh, not particularly. You can go right ahead. Okay. Uh, so strengths here, you know, I had talent level in their starting five. You know, I just think this is a really well-balanced, whether it ends up being Quigley into Shields or Quigley and Copper or Copper into Shields, you know, wh- whatever kind of the wing starters are, I think this team just has a, a ton of talent in their top five, six, uh, even seven, I, I guess you could say, with Dolson as like kind of a, a low-end starter caliber player. Coaching is definitely a strength. Outside shooting could be a strength, you know, something I think has maybe been inaccurately categorized as a strength for this team in recent years. You know, they haven't necessarily been that great of an outside shooting team for always, always being a good offense. Bench scoring, I think, might be something that, you know, they brought in heel. Copper will be coming off the bench. You know, Dolson is a really good offensive player and is going to help kind of propel those bench units. What did I, oh, transition offense uh, with a healthy diamond of shields. I think that it will be kind of closer to what we've seen in previous seasons and, you know, Copper's emergence. Um, Candace Parker is definitely going to help them, even if she's not finishing those plays, you know, help them get out with her, her defense, her rebounding, her uh, full court passing. Uh, Half court creativity, which is just a good way of saying that they have Courtney Vandersloot and other teams going, <laughs> I guess. Uh, team passing. I don't know about this one, actually. I wrote it down because now they have Parker, but they still don't have a ton of great passers, but they'll get Dosen back. They have Parker, they have Sloot, Quigley's okay. You know, their other t- wings are, you know, Gabby Williams is a, a good passer. So I don't know. Do you think passing is a strength or just kind of average for them? I think it's, uh, I almost said average. I almost said average. Uh, it's definitely going to be a case where you have two players making the majority of the playmaking, but that's better than one player making a majority of the playmaking, you know? Heel can, you know, she. Oh, and, and heel. Yeah, sure. Uh, rebounding, I think they should be pretty good with rebounding. You know, Parker is. Uh, obviously led the league in defensive rebounding percentage last year. Stevens with her length. Athleticism, I think they'll, they can throw out some real athletic lineups uh, mm-hmm. with Copper, DeShields, Williams, um, Azra Stevens as well. So a lot, of, a lot of athletic options for them. Any other strengths that I missed there? No, I mean, that's, that's plenty of strengths for me. Uh, weaknesses, I had um, backcourt defense, uh, and then you had some other ones that I'll let you go. Yeah, uh, one is free throw rate. You mentioned they were really poor at, at, at drawing fouls, shooting fouls last season. I don't think anything they did this, this, this off season changes that like for as good as Candace Parker is, she's not going to elevate you to yeah, a She's not getting three. to the line. At she's not, she's not getting, obviously Ellie Quigley, not really getting to the line, but uh, we would hope a healthy diamond to shields would increase that a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be a strength of the roster in particular. Um, ball security. Maybe you mentioned a lot of live ball turnovers, which was, a problem you know, for, for as great, as great as Courtney Vandersloot herself, as great as she is at taking care of the basketball relative to as much as, you know, she dishes it. The rest of the team, I think really had left a lot to be desired as far as committing those turnovers, um, especially in regard to, uh, especially in, in comparison to forcing the turnovers. So I guess I should say turnover differential and then outside shooting, but and, from and the if wing- I could just add, like, I think Cheyenne Parker is a player who turns it over more, more than you would like, but Candace Parker, you know, she'll throw some real dumb passes yeah. and that'll lead to some easy points the other way. And, you know, the other thing about that is um, you also said the offense is going to flow better without Cheyenne Parker. Um, 
I agree with that. But outside shooting from wing players, that's just more specific. You said that outside shooting is going to be better. Yeah, I agree. But I'm I'm not sure if Kalia Kalia Copper was like 40% from three for a good stretch of the season last year. I need to see that again, you know, um, and the Shields and Williams, that's, that's. And we talked about a lot of players who were uh, abnormally good outside of their career norms. Right. So, right. So that maybe, but then you have to think about, well, will Ellie Quigley have a bounce back to, you know, she was by her standards, a poor three point shooter last season. So maybe it'll balance out. I I don't know. There, there still aren't a lot of players who I don't think you're just going to be able to swing the, swing the ball around and get an open three point shot in the corner as much as I'd like, but you know, I agree that it's, it's going to be a, a strength comparison to last year. What do you expect overall from this team? Are they, I mean, we, we've kind of like hinted at it with the other teams that we consider to be a championship contender. Yeah. Uh, I think this team can definitely win a title. I don't necessarily at first blush think they'll be as good as Vegas. There are definitely some things that could change that in terms of certain players bouncing back like Diamond Shields and, and Allie Quigley. Uh, a full Steven, a full Steven, a full season of Azra Stevens will definitely help. I mean, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I like them a little bit more than Minnesota. I think they're a little bit more certain than Washington because we're we're not really sure what that's going to look like. So, you know, if you told me that you expect them to be the second best team or uh, the top tier two, like that's kind of what I expect. Absolutely. You know, I I am expecting um, a top three. Yeah, I'll say it. I'll, I'm expecting a top three finish this team this year um they're deep they're athletic uh they've got multiple ways they can beat you which is which is awesome and it, like you said there's just a lot of i don't want to say certainty but in comparison to some of the other teams like even someone like minnesota that's that's a team that's integrating a lot of new players of course Shell reeve is, is maybe the best in the business at, at doing that but um it's if you look at it from purely a talent perspective this team should have pretty good chemistry coming into the season compared to a team like a Washington or a Minnesota. I'm not certain about that, but it doesn't look like this team has a lot of weaknesses right now, you know, and that's, there's something to be said for that. So we both expect them to be pretty good. Maybe getting that uh, coveted double buy. anything else about the 2021 Chicago sky? Will you be attending games in person this year? Eric? I hope so. Um, there's a lot that still needs to be figured out <laughs> mostly on their end, but what else is new? Uh, just joking. Love you guys. I, uh, I think. Let me. Let me. I'll. I'll just tell you what I know right now. Um, I believe there's going to be there are going to be some social distancing protocols. They're going to need to do testing, COVID testing at the arena, like rapid uh, nasal swab testing. So that'll be fun. But whatever it takes to you know get us back to live basketball. It's something I've really missed. And listen, it's you know how much I love this team. Whatever they need to do to get me in that arena and watching live live sports again, I'll I'll do it. And uh, both prongs of the Double Down WNBA podcast are fifty percent of the way to fully vaccinated. Yes. Um, so uh, go get your vaccines, people, if you can. Uh, and otherwise, um, I think we're good to wrap up, right? Let's wrap it up. Cool. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, this was a fun episode. Always good to talk about the sky. Please, if you want to support the show, you can rate review. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, uh, Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts Manager, Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter, Double Down. WNBA is the show handle, at uh, E for Eric, at Trinkwald for myself. And thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time for the LA Sparks season outlook. Take care, everybody.
Okay, Eric. So we recorded our Sky episode a few days ago. And since then, we have learned that uh, Lexi Brown, who we knew was waived at the time that we recorded this episode, but now we know that she will be signing a training camp contract with the Chicago Sky. Any, I guess, quick thoughts before we kind of dive into it? Well, that'll show us to do to do things in, or, in the order of which we think are like important, right? You know, we didn't think this guy would have much to do, and I guess this, this doesn't. This might not really move the needle for them either way, because we're not sure if she'll make the team or not. But um, Lexi Brown, I was not. I didn't think Chicago would be, you know, high on her priority list. Did you? I did not, and we can kind of uh, let, let's get into. I mean, why didn't you think they would really be a, a contender for her? Because I'm a, assuming it's kind of the same reason why I didn't. Well, I didn't think they'd be a contender for Lexi Brown because they just don't project to have much room. I mean, they, they drafted a, a young point guard in Shiley Heal, which we just talked about. Um, and James Wade expects to play her a lot. And the Sky are only going to be going with 11 players, we think, right? So I don't know where the minutes would come from if they keep Lexi Brown. Yeah, I thought there would be more, uh, more competitive situations out there, more of a kind of guaranteed, I guess, or closer to a guarantee of a roster spot out there for Brown. But let's kind of get into sort of, you know, what she would potentially bring to this team. We mentioned how Lexi Brown, to me, is a little bit of a not yet fully developed 3 and D player. You know, we've seen Mm -hmm. good defense, I think, you know, particularly one-on-one defense. And the shot has kind of waxed and waned. You know, she's had a pretty decent, you know, one of her three seasons has been pretty decent shooting the ball. Um, Obviously, you know, it was not super effective her rookie year where her playing time was not very consistent. Last season, you know, she, of course, struggled with the concussion, and I think um, her her game was a little bit less consistent. But that first year in Minnesota was, I think, pretty good for Lexi Brown. What, what do you think? It was, and um, it, it's, it kind of stinks for, you know, her that she did have that, that really good season, and then, you know, she struggled with injuries and her shot, you know, just, just keeping it 100 here. She struggled with her shot last season and kind of lost her job to a, a rookie in Crystal Dangerfield and, and someone in Rachel Bannum, and then, you know, the Lynx just couldn't afford to keep her. So that being said, I am kind of interested. Like, so you're right. I think her game isn't really fully developed yet. But, you know, I, I think it's somewhere in between what we saw her first and second season in Minnesota. Just my opinion. I don't think she's as poor of a shooter as she, as she was last year. Um, but I'm just kind of wondering, like, what, what, what the ideal situation for this guy is here. And so for Brown, like, the one season where she was really able to get a lot of minutes, you know, 600 minutes plus that first season in Minnesota, her second season in the league. She took over half of her career three-point attempts and she went 52 for 135. So not like a huge sample in the grand scheme of things, but, you know, like I said, more than half of her career three-point attempts and she made over 38% of them there. I don't think she's really going to give you anything from from two, I guess. Um, And, you know, you mentioned that she lost her job last year in Minnesota, but you know, that was a job that she quite frankly, isn't really qualified for in my opinion, in terms of like just being like a, a point guard, you know, she was asked to play point guard and do a lot more offensive initiating. If she was to play in this team, I think, you know, if she was to make this team, it would be a little bit more in her sweet spot in terms of what her ideal role is, which is to be a complimentary player who can knock down open shots. And again, that that's one other thing I think that really tanked Brown's season a little bit last year was just her shot selection. Hopefully that would improve on this sky team that, you know, she would be asked to create a little bit less and, and defend. And she is, I think, you know, we did mention earlier in this episode, a couple of days back when we recorded that backcourt defense might be a little bit of a weakness for this team. She'll certainly, she can address that in certain lineups. Um, 
we talked about how Gabby Williams might be likely to be late to camp. And, and I think it's come out since we recorded that she'll likely be late to the regular season as well. If she plays for this team at all this year, that seems to be a little bit up in the air at this point. So, you know, I think maybe the a little bit more wing depth wouldn't be the worst thing, especially if a, a Gabby Williams trade is imminent. We talked about the defense for Lexi Brown. Her, for as much as she struggled on offense last season, she had a steal rate over 4% last year, which is really, really, really good. And the, the theoretical fit, I think, is great. Because, as you said, we talked about they lack, they, the Sky currently lack backcourt defense and another solid three-point shooter from the outside. Now, the question is, of course, do the Sky keep Lexi Brown because of what she brings? In, uh, like with the with the trade-off being cutting someone else likely a big so that would likely come in the way of i mean we're we're kind of already assuming that only two of ruthie hebert natasha mack or Stu do are going to make this team Correct. anyway like all three of those there's just really no way for all three of those to kind of fit on this roster carrying 11 players at least not as currently constituted uh, but now if you're talking about incorporating lexi brown you are unless again unless you're trading gabby williams which may or may not happen um, I think if it was going to happen, it seems like it would have been more likely to happen at the draft, but maybe that's not the case. And we don't want to do too much speculation about uh, a trade that, you know, we don't really have too much information about. But but if that's the case, if Gabby Williams is going to be a part of this team at some point this year, then you're really now looking at only keeping one of Ruthie Hebert, Astudu, or Natasha Mack. And that to me, I think, and I think we might disagree on this a little bit, like I think I would be okay with that, to be honest with you, particularly when you're you're not sure what you're going to get from the wings. Uh, we talked a little bit about how wing shooting might be a little bit of a weakness for this team. You know, I think I would just rather have that extra wing than necessarily carrying five bigs. But, you know, this is also a front court rotation when you're talking about Azra Stevens and Steph Dolson and Candace Parker, who have, you know, suffered some injuries the last few years. So, so right. I mean, what do you think? Well, it's this is interesting because there's some uncertainty. Uh, in the front court, as you said, but that's also kind of, I don't want to say making an assumption, but that's also kind of saying that Lexi Brown is his known commodity when we just said, well, she's been kind of up and down in her career so far. And we don't know what we're getting from her. I think, so here, here's the thing. Um, in the Chicago, sometimes uh, this guy's new beat writer, Annie Constable. I think that's how you say her name. Um, she got the following information. A student who is set to miss maybe six games from June 17th to the 27th because of Eurobasket. She's playing for Spain. And also, uh, Stephanie Dawson is playing for the USA Basketball 3 by 3 uh, or 3-on-3 three three Olympic tournament qualifying team in late May. So given that there are going to be so many players, I'm not so many, but two frontcourt players kind of coming and going there, I can't see them digging a, 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 an even bigger hole in their frontcourt just to accommodate someone who, let's be honest, is not, you know, has, has had a pretty inconsistent career thus far as well. So, and also judging, you know, just judging from James Wade's process over the past year or so, he knows he wants to win now and, you know, potentially, you know, like risking a very, very thin front court in a situation that, you know, could be avoided. I think, I don't think he's going to do that. Yeah. Uh, I, I hear where you're coming from. In my opinion, I think Lexi Brown does help you win now more than like a Ruthie Hebert. And, you know, I think you, you've said it many times, like you kind of already know what you have with Ruthie Hebert. You know, she's yeah. going to be super efficient as a lower usage scorer, a scorer pretty much around the rim 
only one thing I want to ask you, and, and we can cut this out if uh, neither of us know the answer, but is France also going to compete in that same Eurobasket tournament that Ndu will miss time for? Yes, it is. Yes, okay. yes France will be competing. So we imagine that uh, Gabby Williams will probably um, miss that same stretch of time. At least. Yeah, at least. Um, and it's interesting that Wade specifically mentioned a stew and not Gabby Williams. Uh, you know, read into that whatever you want. We, we don't really know. But so I, I think just in terms of like, and, you know, they are relatively close to the same age. You know, obviously Lexi Brown has a couple of years on Hebert, but it's not like you're picking a 30-year-old over a second-year player. They're right, both right, right. young enough to where development is uh, reasonable to expect over the next couple of years. And, you know, just to build on the point of we don't really know what Lexi Brown is, like she's played just over 1,100 minutes. That's one full season for some of the higher minute getters in like a full 34 game WNBA season. You know, there are multiple players that played more than 1,100 minutes, more than Lexi Brown played in her career, her three-year career so far you know, just in a, the last full WNBA season. So we really just haven't seen it for a full year in terms of what she's, again, outside of the one year with Minnesota uh, in terms of, you know, what she's going to bring. So I definitely understand that, you know, what you're saying. She, she's definitely not a known commodity, uh, and Hebert is. But I, I think I still, uh, you know, you're, you definitely convinced me a little bit with in terms of the time that a stew and more so Dolson. Dolson is really the one that would concern me, you know, in terms of like losing that, type of depth you know i think if you miss a stew for six games i think you know you're not really going to miss that too much you can kind of find ways to to make up for that sure. but you need kind of that extra front court depth if you're going to miss dolson for that time especially if it's a center yeah because you want to be able to defend up now it, um just to add to your point though whenever you think about like a, a bench player or you know lexi bond started a few games but someone who gets most of their offensive production from three-pointers like there's so much variance there, especially for somebody who's not going to have that kind of volume uh, year by year, that, that kind of consistent volume. So it's just, like, like I said, I don't think she, she's definitely not as poor of a shooter as, as she was last season in the bubble. So we'll see what happens. I, it really stinks that, you know, this guy can only carry 11 players. If they can carry 12 players, I mean, I think this would be a home run training camp signing. Yeah. And it also, you know, it's just unfortunate that um, with all the tournaments that are going on, you know, in a normal, like, Olympic season, there wouldn't also be Eurobasket in the same year, right? right? Just because things were moved because of COVID last year that now there are multiple overseas tournaments uh, happening in in the same WNBA season, you know, something that, you know, a lot of leagues just don't have to deal with, quite frankly. And uh, I I love the WNBA playing in the summer, but this is, you know, just one of the things that you have to deal with. Um, But the other thing that just kind of doesn't really add up to me, like I think Brown would have had, like I said, more um, sure things in terms of being able to catch on somewhere so I have to believe that when she when she signed a training camp contract with this team she was told that she at least had a shot to make the roster like I don't think it's yeah. a foregone conclusion that she's you know just a camp body yeah, that's a good point because I mean she's more established in the WNBA than a lot of these guards who are getting training camp contracts um granted she's going to get the the, the 70,000 not not the what, what's the lower level training camp salary. I want to say it's like 58 plus. Yeah, something like that. So granted, she is going to be making that extra 13 or 14,000 as a training camp contract. But even so, I mean, you, you would think that a player like her would go to a place where she, she would figure like, okay, I have a good chance of making this team. I have a good chance of getting a lot of minutes. And like we kind of let off with, Chicago presumably isn't one of those places. So we'll see. We'll see what the plan is. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I have about this. 
Yeah, same here, but I thought it was worth kind of talking about. She is uh, sure. a relatively known name in, in the league. I think she is a valuable WNBA player. You know, of all the kind of training camp contracts that he signed, like she's really the only one that I think has a, a real chance of making the roster, you know, now that Brittany Boyd has Shyla Heel in front of her and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, I guess a Stu has a, a better chance. But overall, you know, I think I think we disagree a little bit. I think I might I mean, not to say this is what will happen, but if it were me kind of making the decision, I think I would, unless, you know, things really looks good from the post players that Chicago has, I would lean on, lean towards kind of giving Brown that, that final roster spot. But I definitely, you know, you made a compelling argument in terms of the depth that they're going to need over the course of the season. And again, you know, let's uh, just (laughs) complain, I guess, about the fact that, you know, you just can't replace somebody when you're losing them overseas. It's just such a bummer that, you know, if, unless you're suspending them for the whole season, you know, you can open up the roster spot, but you can't open up the the room to actually bring in someone if if you, like so many of the teams are, are right up against the, the hard cap. So we've already um, given you all, you know, the normal outro. Uh, don't have to go through all that again, but if you made it this far, thank you all so much for listening. Hope you uh, enjoyed these extra couple minutes on uh, Lexi Brown Talk.